Thank you, sir. Good morning, Mount Helena. Yeah, there we go. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for those of you online who are joining us. If you missed that first service online, I apologize for the technical issues there that we had. Um, if you want to get a head start on me this morning, you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, because uh, most of what I'll be talking about today you'll find in Luke chapter 1 and 2. Uh, Jason had mentioned the uh, Christmas Eve shopping. You know, have you ever walked into a shop on Christmas Eve and the shop owner or somebody working there is just looking at you like, I got you. Last minute, I could charge you a million dollars and you would have to pay it because you have to get your wife that Christmas gift. How many of you will be shopping on Christmas Eve? At least a little bit. Man, you guys are planners. Good job. couple of us troublemakers or liars. Well, I've got some Christmas statistics for you that I dug up this week and uh, found them a little bit interesting as we roll into the Christmas season. Uh, 92% of Americans celebrate Christmas. Not particularly surprising. Um, any guesses on what the average amount an American spends on holiday gifts? Too much. $663.96. I hope that much gets spent on me this year. We are beating the Brits, the Englishmen. They're only at $522. So, 65% of Americans send Christmas cards. How many of you are like hardcore Christmas card senders? How many of you are like me and are rebelling against sending Christmas cards? Yeah, yeah. Here, here. I'm done with the Christmas card thing. Sorry if you're offended about that. Here was a statistic that I thought was interesting. Only 51% of Americans see Christmas as a religious holiday. About half. So 51% see it as a religious holiday, which is interesting and understandable in some ways, but just found that a little bit surprising. And I know you've been wondering this probably for years. How much would it cost you to purchase everything in the 12 days of Christmas? On the 12th day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Everybody, you've been wondering that your whole lives, haven't you? Who figured out the price of a partridge in a pear tree? I want to know. I don't know. But... I can tell you that if you bought all of those items, it would cost you $34,558.65. That's definitely not my wife's budget for me this year. Uh, spouses tend to spend $123 on each other on average, which is pretty interesting. Uh, but if you break it down, the guys are spending $20 on average more than the ladies. So good job, guys. The way it should be. More than 60% of Americans buy their gifts a week before Christmas. So that's over half of us. And probably the most entertaining statistic I found regarding Christmas is that Christmas decorating sends nearly 15,000 people to the emergency room every year. Yes, trying to reach the top of the tree with the star, outside with a ladder against the rain gutter, 
etc., etc. So I think decorating for Christmas is probably dangerous for your health. Therefore, I'm cutting back. All right. Christmas becomes stressful, doesn't it? Sometimes, for some of us. It can become a stressful season. We have a hard time planning anything as a church in December because everybody's schedule is full or they're preoccupied with lots of things. There's lots of Christmas parties and events and things to go to. There's stress sometimes because of finances. Some of you are thinking, boy, I don't spend nearly $663 on Christmas gifts. The budget gets strained sometimes. We have financial issues and it becomes exacerbated during the Christmas season. Your relational expectations can get wonky. You don't know what other people expect of you. Does so-and-so expect me to buy them a gift? Does the in-laws expect me to go to their house for dinner? Like, what are the expectations? And sometimes you get locked in a house with extended family members for days at a time, and your mental health becomes an issue after spending that much time with extended family. It can be strenuous sometimes on our relationships and relational expectations. Employers and work productivity become an issue during the Christmas season. The reduction in productivity that happens in December is a uh, they've calculated it in the billions of dollars every year lost for employers in the Christmas season. Add on top of it, uh, 2020, uh, the year of infamy, all the stress this year from a, a divisive political season, uh, differing opinions and uh, resistance, polarization, COVID-19, opinions, opinions, opinions is exhausting. And people are wore out. I, we met with our, um, we're part of our group of churches called Regions Beyond, and we met as leaders yesterday online with our families just to catch up with some of the leaders. And we've got a church plant in Spokane, and one in, uh, one in Spokane, two in Spokane, really, one in Maine, one in Squim, Washington, and uh, other churches. And we got together online, and we're visiting and just talking about that constant grinding stress that's going on and never ending this year. It just it isn't just a moment that rises and is stressful for a day or two and goes away. It's just a constant underlying stress. We guys were talking about, you know, they go into a conversation with one polarized conversation, one extreme view, one direction, and an hour later they're sitting at coffee with someone else with an extreme view, the other direction, and just trying to figure out how to navigate the whole thing. And it's just been a very stressful year. But I think as 2020 comes to a close and we're talking about Christmas, it's a moment in time that's deliberately on the calendar for us to reflect that we have access to an overflowing hope. Overflowing hope. One thing I want to mention too as a part of my discussion about Christmas before we dive into the scripture is that you know, we often hear about suicide and depression and those kind of things during the holidays and increased rates and things like that. And um, the American Foundation for Prevention of Suicide, as well as the Center of Disease for Disease Control and other organizations have, you know, studied suicide and track it a lot. And we often hear that during the holidays, those numbers go up, but uh, that's actually not true. And I found that really encouraging. I actually found it to be very hopeful that actually statistically December is consistently the lowest rate of suicide of all the months of the year. I thought, well, that's interesting. Because it's true that during the holidays, particularly for some people, it 
does accentuate the fact that maybe they don't have a lot of family or friends. And so for some people, it can be a little bit more difficult than others. But I did find it very interesting that overall, there is, there is pretty noticeable difference through the holidays in the reduction of suicide. And I found that to be encouraging. I think we, we, we need to be thinking about whether or not we are a hopeful people, whether we have hope. The Bible talks often about, uh, you know, well, at times, particularly in the 23rd Psalm, I like when, when, he, when he's in, in the 23rd Psalm, he says, my cup overflows. He's talking about God anointing my head with oil. You know, he, prev- he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. It's representation of abundance, a lot, a large quantity. And we have access to an overflowing amount of hope in Christ. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. This is what I want to anchor on or this week, maybe next week as well. This passage in Romans and, and diving into it. Because I, I think a lot of people, maybe including some of us, have been looking at the glass half empty. Uh, just looking at the circumstances, looking at the difficulty, looking at our relationships, looking at our political situation, looking at our world, and going, the glass is half empty. Where is the hope that we have? May the God of hope fill you with all joy. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. What was Paul's desire here? That we would trust God, that God would fill us to the point that we would be defined as being overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As this year draws to a close, I don't know about you, but the idea of overflowing with hope sounds really, really refreshing to me. And I'd be willing to wager that in the world at large, People are thirsty to be with people that have an overflowing cup of hope. Guess who those people are? They're you and me. We have access to an overflowing hope. What is hope? Last couple of weeks, we've kind of dissected a couple different words. We dissected thanksgiving. We dissected grace. We looked at the meaning of those words, how powerful they really are when we're reading the scripture, how they have a lot of richness and meaning. I'm not going to go quite into depth on hope, but hope and faith are linked together. Their, their definitions even are based on one another. And, and so, you know, I'm not going to unpack faith that much this week, but um, hope, it, it can be both a noun, it can be a verb. Psalm 39, verse 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? What else do I wait for? What else is there? Now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. You are the one for whom I wait. You are the one. My hope is in you. A feeling of expectation and a desire for certain things to happen. A feeling of trust, a desire accompanied by expectation or a belief of fulfillment. That makes it different than a wish. All right, you might be wishing for something for Christmas. You might even be hoping for something for Christmas. I wish I would win the lottery. (laughs) Thumbs up. But I'm not really hoping to win the lottery. I don't have faith that I'm going to win the lottery. That would just be a wish. But hope 
is an expectation, a looking forward, a desiring something that's accompanied with the expectation. That I actually think it will happen. I have reason to believe that it will happen. And in that way, it's a lot like faith. My soul longs for your salvation. Longing. It's communicating that idea of waiting or expectation. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. Psalm 119 verse 81. I hope in your word. You're talking about the action of hope here. This person is actually taking uh, action to hope. To desire, to cherish with anticipation. To want something to happen or to be true. To desire with expectation of obtainment or fulfillment. To expect with confidence, trust. So you see your noun and your verb, they play right off of each other. Virtually almost the same thing. Do you have any hope at all? Do you have any sense of expectation that something good can happen? That something good will happen. That actually the conclusion of the whole will be good. Whatever it is. I want to take you to a passage that we all should know. Romans 8 verse 28. And we know. Okay, we don't just wish. We don't just wonder. We don't just ponder. We know, Paul is saying. That for those who love God, all things work together for good. What? It's just one of those statements that when you stop and think about it, you go, is that really possible? All of the things that are going on in the world, all the things that have gone on in my life, the most horrible things sometimes that I can think of that have gone on in the world, you're telling me that God works all things towards the good? That is hard to believe. But the word has come to us and teaches us that God is working all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. God is working all these things together. And if we really can wrap our minds around that and our hearts and begin to believe, then we have the opportunity to have a hope that is overflowing. But man, we've got to wrestle with whether or not we really believe the word of God. Whether we really believe what he says. Hope is uh, described often in the Bible. It's going to, one of the most common words you're going to find. That in the Old Testament when they talk about uh, hope, they're really tying the idea of, of waiting and having expectations. Uh, the, it really, the, the root meaning there of how they derive the word hope is actually of ropes. Like if, we, if you grabbed a rope and I grabbed a rope and we're pulling on each other and there's a tension that eventually snaps, that's what gives idea to the word of, of hope in the Old Testament. The idea that there's an, there's an expectancy, maybe even a tension, because we're looking forward to something that has not yet occurred, but eventually it will give way and come to pass. We believe that it will happen. And there, as you know, there can be a lot of tension as you wait, hopefully, for some positive outcome of something in your life. 
Of course, when it says that God works all things to the good, it doesn't mean that every single circumstance turns out good. But if we can zoom out big picture and trust that God has his hand on the entire situation, we can believe that he is working it to the good. Even if we've had difficulty in the journey, even if we've had tragedy in the process, even if we've fallen on our faces along the way, we still can rest assured and have a hope in that God is working all things out for the good. And we even know in the end, the end is good. The very end of all things and the culmination of time is good. And if we know that, we can have a a cup that overflows with hope. Hope is different than optimism. Hope is different than optimism. And this is a little bit clunky to try and explain because I, I, I just, it's hard to resolve in your mind. But in the uh, world of psychology, they define them very differently. And there are studies showing the differences between them. But optimism is often directed at circumstances. It's just looking at a set of circumstances and uh, being able to picture all the positive ways it could turn out. It's a mental effort, something to decide in your mind, to choose to see that these positive things could occur out of the situation. Hope is more of an emotional word. In the Bible, hope is often, more often than anything, is directed at someone, not something, God. The, the belief that somehow there's going to be a capability to work out the circumstances Positively, And if you're in psychology, I'm sure I'm not doing justice at all to this. But there is a difference. And what I really want to, well, I guess if I could put it in my own words, uh, I would say that optimism is a mental view that by hook or by crook, circumstances will turn out good. Just taking a mental approach. Uh, Whereas hope is more of an emotional connection that believes in someone's capability, yourself or otherwise, and ultimately God. So there is a little bit of a difference there between hope and optimism. And as Christians, our view of hope will be a scriptural approach today as we talk about it. Either way, hope is a word, an idea that looks forward. We don't hope for something in the past. The past is behind us. If we're hoping for something in our past, that doesn't even make sense, does it? Hope is a future-oriented word. It's an anticipatory concept, something that looks forward. But it's much more than a wish. It's an expectation or a desire accompanied with belief, and in that way it's a lot like faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is the evidence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for. It's a more substantial idea of hope. There was, uh, you know, it's appropriate if we're talking about hope, I think, and this is what we're going to talk about mainly today, is the story in Luke chapter 1 and 2. And looking at the hope in this situation and in people's lives. I want to look at Mary and Joseph... Elizabeth and Zechariah, who were the parents of John the Baptist. I want to look at Simeon and Anna, people that were in the temple when Jesus was a baby, and look at how they responded to the Word of God in different ways. But eventually all of them putting their hope in God. If you know the story of Jesus' birth being foretold, Um, 
an angel appears before Mary, Gabriel. And Mary is unmarried. She's betrothed, which means she's in an agreement to get married to a man named Joseph. She's probably pretty young. And the angel appears and says, you're going to have a, you're going to become pregnant. Um, not in the natural way, but by the power of God, you're going to become pregnant. The child will be holy. The child will be called the Son of God. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end, and all these things. And, of course, that's kind of quite a shock to Mary to have an angel appear to her and say these things. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and is in the sixth month with her who was called barren. And I'll explain that a little more in a minute. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now listen to Mary's response, okay? Powerful thing that she responds with here. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me. Let it be to me. I'm accepting it. May this happen. This is what I'm trusting in. This is what I'm hoping in. May it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of God came through this angel and delivers this news. And Mary's response is, Let it be to me according to your word. Think about Mary's situation. First of all, uh, she's not married and she's going to become pregnant. Sexuality outside of marriage is not God's design. God wants the covenant of marriage. And when someone becomes pregnant outside of marriage, particularly in that Jewish culture at that time, it was very much a disgrace. In fact, when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant... He knew it wasn't his child. And so he begins to contemplate and quietly arrange to divorce her. So even though they're not married, you have to understand the, the, how esteemed the betrothment and marriage is held. How important they are to society and how important they are to God. And, and so he, he sees the situation and so he would actually have to divorce her. He'd have to break off this agreement of betrothment with her um, because she had become pregnant. Yes, so think about this. Mary, Mary could, she, finding out she's going to become pregnant, she's going to be gossiped about. She's going to be rejected by people in her culture. Um, she could lose her husband or potential husband who was a carpenter. And you know, that was very important just to survival in those times. Look at what she's faced. She's very young. And yet, how does she respond to the word of God? With hope. God has said. God has spoken. His word has come. And I'm accepting it. And she accepts it. And actually, an angel appears to Joseph. Because he's getting ready to divorce her. And the angel explains to Joseph, do not leave Mary. This is God's plan. And so Joseph sticks with her. So Joseph responds in faith and hope. He's going to be gossiped about. They're going to be questioned about what's gone in their relationship. Oh, you're, you did, you're pregnant and nothing happened? Yeah, right. You can imagine the gossip going on. 
in their circles. And yet, they responded with a hopefulness in God's word with what God has said. Now, who's Elizabeth and Zechariah? Elizabeth and Zechariah are the parents of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is basically the last Old Testament prophet. He is making people ready for the coming of the Messiah. He's teaching them to repent from their sins. He's teaching them to be baptized and turn away from their old way of life to prepare themselves for the coming Christ. And he's related to Jesus, actually. And judging from this, he's you know maybe six months older than Jesus. Well, Elizabeth cannot have children, and they're getting older, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and he's a priest, and they cast lots to see, kind of like rolling dice to see who has to go into the temple and offer the sacrifice in the Holy of Holies, the presence of God, and Zechariah, the dice falls his way, and he goes in there, and an angel appears to him also and says, Zechariah, your wife's going to have a baby. In her old age. Finally this is going to be fulfilled. And of course he has every reason to go. Wait what? We're getting old. And he says this. Zechariah said to the angel. How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you. To bring you this good news. And behold you will be silent. And unable to speak. Until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words. Which will be fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah he's questioning the angel. Like how is this possible? The angel's like because you didn't believe me. You're not going to be able to speak. And he couldn't. Zechariah came out of the presence of God. To the people. And He can't talk, and so he's gesturing, and they're like, what's he talking about? What happened? And they realize he saw an angel, and he didn't speak until John the Baptist was born, and then when they took him on the eighth day, they'd take a male child to be circumcised, and on that eighth day, that's when they named him, and when they named him, the people were like, why would you name him John? That's not a family name, but the angel had told them to, and so he wrote down the name John, and as soon as he did, he could speak. God loosed his tongue when all these things were fulfilled. And it's so interesting that the angel says, are fulfilled in their time. Do we trust God with the time? Do we trust that God's word will come to pass when he wants it to come to pass? See, these people had been anticipating a coming Messiah. The Jews were waiting for a Savior. They were hoping. They were anticipant. They believed. And that's what this Christmas season is really all about. We're, we're, as in the days leading up to the celebration on Christmas, we're reminding ourselves that the Messiah came and he's coming again. There's a hope for salvation for mankind. There's a hope for redemption from our sin. There's a hope for transformed lives in Christ. And these people, these heroes of the Christmas story, they heard the word of God and they responded in hope. Even though Zechariah stumbled a little bit, And paid for it. They all responded in hope towards the word of God. That he was going to work things out for the good of those who love him. And have been called according to his purpose. In the end, they did indeed. When Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. It says in verse 39 of chapter 1. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. 
And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, John, who was in her womb, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, she, she sensed it right away. The baby leaped in her womb. She was full of the Holy Spirit. She prophesied is what she did. She knew that Mary was pregnant with her Lord. It was Jesus. She was aware that God was doing something significant. And then she says in verse 45, And blessed is she who believed. Who was she who believed? Mary. So Elizabeth is saying, you are blessed, Mary. And Mary is, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She's declaring, because you've hoped, because you've believed, you will be blessed. And we can take notes on their reactions and responses and the way they decided to conduct themselves based on the Word of God and look at our own lives today and go, do we believe what He has said? Is there any hope? Is there any hope for my circumstances? Is there any hope for the situation? Is there any hope for this creation? Is there any hope for mankind? There is a hope. There will always be a hope. He is the God of hope. And he has given mankind hope. Something to anticipate. Something to look forward to. Something to believe will come to pass. Further along in the story, after Jesus is born, they take him to the temple. And, in, and the, it picks up a story in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. And now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Waiting, there's, there's that concept, that waiting, that uh, hope is tied to the idea of waiting. Or like the angel Gabriel said, the word will be fulfilled in its time. There's, there's, there's a passage of time. He was, a, he was a devout man, he's righteous, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is it? Consolation, the consoling, the comfort, the rescuing, the Messiah. He's been waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit had, had, had spoken to him, and he believed that he would not die before he saw the Messiah, before he witnessed <clears throat> excuse me, the Christ, the Anointed One, that would redeem Israel. And he came... In the Spirit, into the temple, which means the Holy Spirit prompted him, and he, and he goes to the temple right at the same time that Jesus is there, according to the customs of the law, and he took him up in his arms. So this old man Simeon takes the baby Jesus in his arms, and he said, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. You keep hearing that? According to your word, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's seeing Jesus. He understands that he's seeing the salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, 
This child is appointed for the falling and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. He prophesies about Jesus while he's holding him and he even, pro- even foreshadowing that a sword would pierce Mary's own soul. And of course, when you fast forward 30 some years, she's there at the cross when Jesus is crucified and dies. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. So in other words, she was a young woman, unmarried, marries uh, her husband. They're married seven years, then he dies, and she's a widow, and she's now 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Again, there's that sense of hope, anticipation, waiting. God, all through the Old Testament, has prophesied and spoken to us that a time will come, that his anointed one will come and rescue us from our sins. He will, he will be a king over a kingdom. And we see all those prophecies in Isaiah and, and other places foreshadowing the coming Christ. And so they're hopeful that God will fulfill his word. Are you hopeful? Are you expectant? Do you anticipate that God will fulfill his word in his time? His word that says he will work all things out for the good of those who love them. And look at the whole situation right now and you go, I find that hard to believe, but I'm going to be like Mary. Or I'm going to, like Zechariah, I don't want to doubt what God has said. I want to be like Mary and go, may it be to me as you have said. May it be to us, Lord, that you would work things out for the good. Even when we're looking at everything going, I don't know if it can ever be good. And even in, and it's not to say that our circumstances don't end up messy or our whole lives are just issue after issue after issue. In fact, Paul goes, he says later, and maybe we'll look at this more next week, he says, uh, if, if our hope is only in this life, then we're to be pitied above all people. Our hope really isn't in this present time or circumstances. This is a minuscule foreshadowing of a grand and glorious day in which we rise. We sang this morning, actually, about the stone being rolled away from the tomb. And we all think about Easter, and we think about Jesus rising from the dead. But have you ever stopped and thought that the stone will be rolled away from your tomb someday? You will rise in a new body. On that day of resurrection, the stone will be rolled away metaphorically, and we will rise. He was the first fruits. He is the forerunner of a promise that you and I have hope in for eternal life, resurrection, and not just in the long term, but also even in the now. We could overflow with hope. We could have that peace and joy. The cup doesn't have to be half empty. Our hope isn't in politicians. It isn't in money. It isn't in power. It isn't in man's systems. Our hope is in the Lord eternal. He is our hope and our salvation. The Jews today even await a Messiah 
or a messianic era, a time when the anointed one will come. People need hope. They need salvation. Why were all these people anticipating this? Because the world needs saved. People need salvation. They need hope. They need something to hope in, to believe in, to get through today and face tomorrow knowing and believing, even if it's just grasping at a straw of hope, going, God has something good for me. Even again, I can't feel it, I can't see it, and I'm having a heck of a time even believing it. I'm going to hang on that one little cord of hope to get me through to whatever's next because I believe that God has something in mind. Romans fifteen thirteen again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, the God of hope. These heroes that we just looked at in the final moments before Jesus' birth were people that believed the word of God and that gave them hope. The word of God uh, fills us today through their stories and through the stories of many others uh, with a sincere hope that he will indeed work these things out for the good. It's not optimism that the circumstances will somehow get better. In fact, the heroes of the Bible saw through the circumstances, and they didn't get better, sometimes for generations, and yet they hoped. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace. Would you stand, please? We'll pray. I hope, hope you're stirred to reflect on and to ponder and to ask yourself the questions, do I have hope? Where do I find hope? Do I believe God's word? Can I believe these things? Where is my emotional connection to a positive outcome? Where, where's my source for that? Is it God? Lord, I thank you today, Lord, that, well, we, we talked about grace last week. By your grace, because you chose to show us favor, to do us a favor, to do something we could never earn, you gifted us with hope. The hope of salvation, the hope of transformed lives the hope of a, of a great and glorious day of your return. And Father, I ask that you would bless each one here with more hope. Lord, that as they go out and face their day and their week and the challenges of the world around them, God, that you'd bless them with a hopefulness, a sense of purpose, a sense of something greater than the immediate circumstances, a sense of purpose beyond what we immediately see. And Father, I pray that we would be a fragrance of hope to the people around us. That there would be light that shines through our lives, helping others cup to fill and overflow with hope that we might have peace and joy. In Jesus' name, amen.